Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, your co-hosts. And we love being in the space of answering your questions and most specifically answering your questions about how to keep in control more of your money. And most specifically, we are in this space of providing education and tools and knowledge and resources so that you have this jumping off point to be able to make decisions But still, there's so much to learn about infinite banking, and that's what we're talking about today. There's so much to learn about finance in general that you do need to have an advisor for. So just that's a a quick angle on what we're discussing today. Today, we're talking about paid up additions. This is a piece of an infinite banking policy. And if you have maybe you wanted to get into infinite banking and you're learning about it right now and you're in your educational quest, this could be a really critical piece of you understanding what an infinite banking policy is, what it does, how it solves your problems. And so today we're just going to answer a lot of questions about PUAs. And really, I guess you could think of this as almost an IBC lab today. We're going to help you understand what they are, what they do, and why they're valuable to you. So PUA, those three little letters, they add a lot of growth, access, and flexibility to a life insurance policy for you. So Bruce, thanks for joining me for this great conversation and for setting this up on our last show that we talked about infinite banking. Yeah, we're recording this right in the middle of uh, the the 2021 Summer Olympics. And it it, it hit me that uh, I've always been an Olympic fan. I've always been a track and field fan. Um, I actually participated in track and field uh, in high school and loved it. And I was a hurdler and there was a hurdler. His name was Edwin Moses. And uh, most of our younger listeners would have no idea who he is. But Edwin Moses, I think, set the international record. And I don't remember the exact amount, but he won like 107 international races in a row. Oh, wow. And, and what was so unique about Edwin is he did not have a coach. He, he was at that high level and he was able to figure everything out on his own and motivate himself on his own. But he's the only person that I yeah, he's the only person that I've ever known that was able to do something at a high level without a coach. My point of this is uh, I want to welcome everybody in and hopefully we can be their their coach to start to understand and then 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 to get an advisor to actually put those strategies in place for you. So today we're just going to kind of tell you exactly what PUAs are, and then you have to get with an advisor to tell them how you could actually apply those to your situation. Very well said. And Bruce, as you were talking, I thought to myself, wow, it really would take a very special person to do anything remotely of that, a feat of those proportions without a coach. I mean, that is um, astounding. So yes, and, and we're definitely... I'm following the stories with Simone Biles right now and all the um, the stuff on the gymnastics team. And so I applaud her courage. And at the same time, just a very heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching and a back and forth story going on with that. So, all right, well, let's jump in today. I'll start off with some of the more high-level things today. And I would encourage you as well, as you are listening, if you are live, whether you're on LinkedIn, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. If you have questions, please go ahead and drop those into the chat. I will pull up the chat here and make sure that I'm watching that. Uh, we may, you may have questions specifically on your mind that we don't address, and you're welcome to ask those live. And you're also welcome to send those over to hello at themoneyadvantage.com after the fact, and we can bring those up on a future show as well. So first of all, what is a PUA? You might have heard this term or almost sounding like a buzzword in the infinite banking space. And so I just want to say, first of all, that stands for paid up addition. It is a type of premium that goes into a life insurance policy. 
Now, it can also be called other things. We've heard LPUA. Bruce, what are some of the other words that are used to, to mean PUAs? Well, most of them do have paid up additions in it. They will put, they will put maybe something else uh, in front of it, like level paid up additions, fixed paid up additions, uh, reoccurring paid up additions. There's all kinds, but it's, it's really paid up additions is almost always uh, in any contract. What's interesting is these, these have been in contracts for absolutely years and years and years. Um, but because um, life insurance, which has been around for, you know, some cases people could uh, uh, go back to 250 years, but, you know, a co- one of the companies we use goes back, I believe, a hundred. I think it's 174, mm-hmm. 175 years right now. So they go up a long, they go back a long way, and the paid-up addition was always it was there, but it wasn't always utilized. And the reason it wasn't utilized is uh, these contracts used to be used as an accumulation vehicle mm-hmm. only. And uh, we talked about this on the shows be- on the shows before is. Life insurance used to be an institute, a financial institution where people saved money very regularly. Mm-hmm. It, it was not until the 401k came in 1979, and then the stock market became very easily accessible to people. Uh, so it used to be that these vehicles were always built all base, even though these contracts were available. And the reason for that is they were trying to look for long-term growth in this and um, the PUAs would just accelerate short-term cash cash. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about that a little in a little bit, but uh, so they're, they're called a bunch of different things. Uh, it's funny. Insurance companies are just like any other company. They try to market. So they try to call things different, different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically it's all a paid up additions. And it's a rider that you can use on the policy. And I like that you mentioned that it's a rider. It's not something that's required, but it is a part of policy design. When you come into thinking about using a policy for cash storage that you can use today and this tool that grows over time. So let's just um, kind of go through what are some of the benefits of using a PUA. And Bruce, I'll share the first part here. And then I love the analogy that you use, how it can be very similar to building a house. So mm-hmm. essentially you have this life insurance policy and the PUA buys a mini paid up policy that attaches onto your whole life insurance policy. Can you share the way that you articulate that though, as similar to a house? Yeah. So <clears throat> what's interesting is if you just think about the three words, paid up addition, um, it's paid up, mm-hmm. okay? That means on that additional life insurance, paid up additions, on that additional life insurance, you never have to make another premium for that additional life insurance you bought. So just like you said, it's like a mini policy that you've, you've decided to purchase within that contract. So you have your base contract and then per contract rules, you're allowed to buy other paid up contracts within that contract. And just think of them as little, little policies within there. So I always tell people, so you decide at 43, you want to exercise the rider right that you have to buy additional life insurance, paid up additions. So you tell the company, who has established the amount that you can do this, I have an additional whatever it is, $10,000. You say, company, A, B, or C, wherever you're working, I have an additional $10,000. Here you go. At 42, how much additional life insurance will I be able to purchase with $10,000 and I never have to put another dime into that additional contract? So the actuaries... Look at what your health rating was at the time that you purchased the base policy. They, they go out to age 42 because that's when you want to exercise that rider. And they say you get X amount. Now, I just know from experience 
that a 42-year-old is going to get anywhere between four to five times the death benefit that they put into PUA rider. So then uh, that would be a 10,000, be anywhere between 40 to 50,000 more additional life insurance. Now, why is this important? So as you said, I often use a real estate example. So if you bought a property, that's an asset. Think of your whole life contract as an asset. You're making a payment to the whole life policy. It's building up equity. It's building up equity. When you make a payment to the the uh, residential property, it's building up equity. When you make a payment to your whole life, it's building up equity. So you can see you can see the analogy there. Then you decide one year, I'm going to add an addition to my residential property. So you build an addition to the residential property. When you do that, we're going to use our same $10,000. It took me $10,000 to build a sunroom to my residential property. Then you have an appraiser, appraiser residential property. And if you did a good job, the appraiser is going to say, oh, you added this addition. Your value went up X. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it would be four times X. So it went up $40,000. Mm-hmm. So now you could go to the bank and you could say, hey, look at my appraisal. My value of my property has gone up 40000 I've already paid for that addition. So will you lend me some money based upon the money that I put into that? that? In that case, it's the additional money you put in the house. In the whole life, it's the additional money you put in to the mini contract. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say, sure. The bank will say, sure, I'll loan against this. And I'm going to use that extra $40,000 of appraised value as collateral. The bank feels good about it because they're like, I don't think even if you default, we're just going to subtract the $10,000 from the property when we sell it. And we're, we're confident that the value is going to stay up because you increased it by 40000 The same thing happens in a whole life insurance contract. So you, you paid an additional 4000 or 10000 excuse me. It goes up by 40000 in value. You tell the insurance company, I'd like to borrow against that additional 10000 that I put in. The insurance company says, great. We got another $40,000 of death benefit that if you never pay this back, we will actually just subtract the $10,000 plus the interest from that. Mm-hmm. So th- that's, that's basically how it works. And I hope the residential analogy helps people understand that this isn't magic. It's really not that complicated. If you look at the words paid up additions and you compare it to something you already know, then maybe it's a lot easier for people to understand. Yes. And actually, we had some feedback on that right away. Um, Dale Stansel, thank you so much. He's listening on LinkedIn and he said, great analogy. So I really appreciate, Bruce, how you share that because when I think of a mini paid up policy, I think of an addition onto my house because you're not starting a new policy. You are adding right. a paid up portion on top of the current death benefit that you have already being paid for by your base premium. And so let's just start off off the bat. We've done several episodes on this before, but nothing specifically dedicated just to talking about PUAs. We've talked a lot about policy design and what companies you want to work with and how you get early cash value. But the one important thing that I like to communicate and remember is that PUAs generally will contribute to higher early cash value, where if you just have base premium only, and this is a base premium only policy would be your plain vanilla um, straight whole life insurance that's not designed for early cash value. It's just designed as a long-term growth tool that is purely for death benefit and dividend growth. That base premium life insurance policy is not going to have a huge amount of early cash value available if you want to take money out and borrow against it for a real estate investment or to purchase a house or to add on to your business or pay for a marketing strategist or whatever you want to use cash value for right away. And so when you think about base premium, which is the standard 
beginning premium that you need to start with in any life insurance policy, that's going to contribute mostly to your long-term growth and to your dividends and to your death benefit. The paid up additions portion is going to contribute much more heavily to early cash value accumulation and less to the death benefit. Um, So the thing I'll say as well about that um, before, Bruce, I wanted to see if you had any feedback before we jump onto the next point, but really when you're looking at infinite banking, the idea behind infinite banking is not just saying I have a whole life insurance policy for death benefit. Really what you're looking at doing is with infinite banking, there's this product of your whole life insurance policy and the strategy of being able to borrow against that policy, not just 20 years from now, but but the ability to use your cash value along the way while you're living so that you can put those dollars to work in another investment. You actually are able to earn a return in two places at the same time because your money is still compounding and growing inside the life insurance policy. You borrow against it and you put a loan to work in another asset. So you're getting this growth in two spots, two places at the same time. And that's the strategy of using infinite banking and why why infinite banking is different than just saying a whole life insurance policy. And so really when I think about paid up additions, I think of them as the secret sauce of infinite banking and how it really amplifies and supercharges your ability to use your whole life policy today. Yeah, I agree. It, except it's it's not really that easy of a decision because um, let's use the let's use the real estate again as a an example. So, on in many contracts, the the div, a dividend which we're going to use a mutual company, and the reason you use a mutual company is because the policyholders holders are actually part owners of the company, and thus they actually participate in the profits of the company. So this is a way to not only increase your cash value, but really dividends actually purchase more paid up additions. So that's another way that you get paid up additions. The dividends will actually purchase that. So what's interesting is, is that let's use the real estate example. And and yes, there's a lot of people out there now that are saying, Oh, I want to design the policies so that I have as much PUAs as possible so I can do additional um, investments with the PUAs and borrow against it. But let's use the real estate example again, just so everybody understands that most of the companies pay the highest dividend on the base portion of the policy. Mm-hmm. And here's the reason why that money has been committed for long-term growth. And, and it is actually has the highest amount of, of death benefit proportionally, just like if you had a, a residential property and you built a 3,000 square foot residential property and you put a sunroom on it of, of 10 by 10 or 20 by 20, most of the value would actually be in the 3,000 square foot property, not in the sunroom. Now, let's flip this and say, okay, we're going to build a 500 square foot building, and then we're going to put in a bunch of PUA properties that are a bunch of sunrooms added onto that, like 10 or 20 of them. What's going to look ridiculous, and although it has value, it has value, when somebody else is going to come to buy it, that's the only reason it has value, or the bank's going to look at it and say, oh, we think we can sell this. They're going to say, that's absolutely ridiculous. It's not going to have that great of value, so we're not going to give it that much death benefit, just like a bank's not going to assign as much value to it. But That's if a you great flip, analogy. <laughs> right. But if you flip it and you say, I'm going to build a 6,000 square foot home that I'm going to pay over time and I'm going to add another garage to it, then that garage is going to add value to it. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's going to add immediate liquidity. And the other one, you're going to have to build liquidity over time, but it's going to be much more valuable when you try to sell it or get it appraised because people are going to go, 
wow, look at this 6,000 square foot home. It's going to have a lot more value. But what's happening in the infinite banking community right now, and Nelson, Nelson Nash taught us this a long time, the value of, of having base premium is that the death benefit is higher. And that's really, that's really the value, not only to you, but to the financial institution, because that's what they're using to, to collateralize the loan along with the premiums that you're putting in. So just like a bigger home will command more appraised value because more people are going to find that appealing, then that is why you can actually borrow against that a much easier than you can a paid up additions that is going to be just simply 16 little um, sunrooms attached on there. Yes, they have value, but they don't have that great of value. Uh, might only be so, four times of premium. So this is something that Nelson used to always say, you've got to capitalize. If you capitalize early, you're going to actually, you're going to actually get that benefit long-term because you've capitalized a benefit. And specifically in this area, you were talking about why base premium earns higher dividends. So you're saying more base is capitalizing your ability to get better dividends, which is better long-term growth because it's that more substantial house. Yeah, absolutely. And I hear this all the time. People say, yeah, but if I can take, if I can borrow against the PUAs and go put in another investment right away, I'll outpace that uh, additional dividend. And I'm like, oh, oh, really? First of all, anything you go put an investment in, more than likely, you're gonna you're going to also have to pay taxes on that. Mm-hmm. Where dividends you don't are, are grow tax free, especially in this low interest rate environment that we're talking about in 2021. If interest rates move for, uh, upward and dividends move, and we use this example all the time, but if if a company's paying five or six percent right now in dividends, uh, let's just use five percent, and it goes up to two and a half percent. Two and a half percent to seven and a half percent, which they were like that in 2010. Well, that's not a two and a half percent increase. That's a 50% increase on Mm -hmm. your dividend. And then it compounds from there. So I was just showing a client the other day from the 80s as as dividends were going up, the projected dividend in one year was 3,800. The projected, the actual dividend that was received that year was 12,500. So wow. it, was, it was almost three times. And then that compounds on top of that for the rest of the contract life. And, yes. that, and by the way, that's tax-free. Yes. So it's much more valuable. So, so you need to hear this. I mean, Bruce, you're sharing this as clear as day, but I just want to reiterate in case somebody was... Uh, I don't know, the dog was barking or something while they're listening. What you're saying is that dividend growth is tremendously powerful because not only is it tax-free, but in addition, it contributes back into the floor of the policy, which then also continues to earn future dividends. So it's this compound effect that you earn a dividend today, that dividend that you earned today next year is now going to be earning a dividend as well, which is contributing to that upward exponential growth curve where some people will say, well, you know, we're not earning 10% return in this life insurance policy. You don't need to because you're not at the risk of losing money tomorrow that you gained today. You're not doing this up and down yo-yo effect. You're just continually compounding and growing. And it seems so slow. It seems unsexy. It seems very uncool sometimes to just get slow, steady growth but it's much more powerful than you realize, especially when those dividends that are being added back to the policy can purchase PUAs. Those PUAs are added to your cash value. Your cash value is continuing to earn dividends and interest, by the way, because it's not just dividends. They're also earning guaranteed interest. And every time you earn something new in the policy, it's continuing to add to that base. So um, Bruce, are you looking at the question we have coming in? Well, I'm looking at on um, YouTube. I don't know if you're on LinkedIn, yep. but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm re- looking at all of them. Yeah, I'm re- I'm responding to the YouTube one right now. So, go um, ahead. Do you want Do you want to address this live on the show? Do you want to talk yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this person is saying that they did a twenty 
80 PUA and, and, uh, but they start my wife's policy at 40, 60 and, and they want to know my thoughts. And well, here's the thing. It's very, we really shouldn't, we, sh we really shouldn't and can't advise properly on the show because I don't know that your, your full financial picture, your full family needs, goals, so on and so forth. So let's just talk about, you know, what that 2080 PUA means. And also, I don't know, I, I frankly don't know which company you're using. I don't know if it's a direct or non-direct recognition company. I don't know if uh, they are using a blended term rider to ach achieve this or, as, or a separate term rider. All of these things affect the outcome. Now, I've said this all the time on the show. Uh, there's no such thing as a deal in insurance. So you're always pulling level, levers. You're always going to get to the, the end uh, in these whole life contracts approximately at the same place. It's just like, what do you want more of? Do you want early cash value, not as much dividend, which means then you're not going to have as much cash value in the future. And people say, well, I look at the illustrations and they actually have more cash value uh, if I have more PUA. Well, that's because illustrations are simply a snapshot in time. They are not, they are not, uh, a con they are not contracted. And some people say, yeah, but look at the uh, guaranteed side. Well, yeah, you can look at the guaranteed side, but all these companies that we work with and almost all the companies that are in existence have always paid dividends. So mm -hmm. although you cannot, you cannot guarantee the dividend rate on the, on the non-guaranteed side, you can almost say they're highly probable that you're going to get a dividend. Yes. So if you believe that, that interest rates are going to go up in the future, which I frankly do, then really what you're looking at on these illustrations, they don't, they don't even exist. You should not even be looking at that because that's not what, what you mean is that the illustration is showing this low growth rate that we expect is going to be higher than what we see on the illustration. Uh, I, I, I don't, I would hesitate to say the expected, but it would Anticipate. make logic, <laughs> yeah. the logical, the, the logic would say that it's going to be greater. The mm -hmm. logic would say that it's going to be greater. So thank you for uh, tempering my words there. So, right. so, and the reason I'm, I'm hesitating because a 2080 design to me is the lowest that you should go because you do not want to risk, um, actually extending the policy where you're taking too many loans against the policy so that it doesn't keep up uh, with, the, uh, with the ability to compound and take care of the uh, loan interest if you're not paying back. And everybody has intentions to, be, to pay back, but I've been doing this for, you know, since the 80s, and uh, there's human nature involved that people don't always pay back. Nelson used to call it sealing the peas. And so 2080 is about the lowest I would go. And also, I do believe that you need to go to uh, consider long-term growth. So I would say the person that, uh, that is asking this question, 2080 is great. 4060, even better. Mm -hmm. if, if you're looking for long-term growth and you can afford the lack of liquidity in the first three or four years. Now, you still have some liquidity. I'm just saying you don't have as much liquidity. Um, then you will actually uh, benefit long-term, in my opinion, going forward. And they said it was a uh, 20-year term, great, from Lafayette Life, great, uh, really strong company. So I would say... Uh, and now they're asking if 60, 40, even better. Uh, again, it depends, I would say. Depends. Yeah, it depends. Once again, and I know we sound wishy-washy, but it's also about what you believe and need. So like I, I tell people all the time, I have an all-base policy. Okay, so I have one Which that's that would base. be 100, zero, yeah, or zero. zero, 100, depending on how you want to say that. But 100% base, no PUAs is what you're saying. Right. Right. And the reason I have that is because I value the death benefit. So I wanted permanent death benefit as high as I could get right away. And I wanted long-term dividend growth. And I could afford, because I have all my other policies and, and all the other liquidity, I could afford to, to not have as much liquidity in the, in the very beginning. 
but and and Rachel, I'd like to kind of finish this little uh, thought with this for all our listeners. When you build these policies, when either we help you build them or somebody else helps you build them, uh, and you have a 10-year term, a 7-year term, a 15-year term, a 20-year term, a 30-year term, or you have what are called uh, blended term riders by other companies that we represent, um, the death benefit is going to fall off at some time. And I don't mean completely, but it's going to be reduced Mm -hmm. at some time. When the term When the term falls off. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting is when I illustrate all this, most of the time people say, Oh, that's okay. I'm really not doing this for the death benefit. I just had two conversations last week to do what we said, a reduced paid up. And both people said, oh, I don't want that death benefit to fall. And I said, well, you were fine with it during this time when we set it up. What has changed? Well, they can't articulate it, but I'll tell you what's changed. They've gotten older and, they've, and they value their mortality more. Mm-hmm. And, and they want to leave as much money to the next generation as possible for, for a couple of reasons. One, they're facing death themselves. And Nelson used to talk about all the time, this, to the, to the uh, practitioners all the time. Do not diminish the death benefit. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm actually... You're enhancing it. You're I'm, I'm carrying, <laughs> highlighting it. I'm carrying Nelson's legacy. Mm-hmm. Do, so um, they're do, doing that. And also... What happens is they now, I believe, because of our economic turmoil that's going on, people are realizing that if they don't help the next generations, then they're going to be at a distinct disadvantage with one, Social Security problems, Medicare problems, inflationary problems in the future. Oh, yes. And and so they're trying to help as many of their, um, many of their uh, people as possible. In my case, my wife and I, it's, we don't have any children, but we're trying to help our nieces and nephews mm-hmm. as much as possible. So that's, that's where I would say uh, thank you uh, for that great question. Oh, and, absolutely. And keep it up. And uh, all, I, all I tell people, you're going to save someplace. You know, this is not an investment. You're going to save someplace. You're going to have, you're gonna have your, your, your bond portfolio someplace. You're, and, for people that don't understand that, that's your fixed income, things that are pretty safe. You're going to have it someplace. So why not save it in one of the safest places on the earth? And that's a life insurance contract because life insurance companies are much more um, strong financially than banks are. And then mm-hmm. everybody says, well, what about FDIC and so on and so forth? Well, the only way they can pay FDIC is to print more money, which then is the def- an inflationary situation you're so your money isn't worth as much so that's my uh answer to the youtube question thanks again for the answer or the question yes thank you for jumping in today and what's really interesting is that i think those are probably some of the same questions that we would have answered today anyways and those are also the questions that are on someone's mind as they're thinking okay well what kind of policy design do i want and need you know one thing we didn't even mention is that there's also different products at the life insurance companies that will perform differently based on one might be designed 50% base, 50% PUA that might perform similarly to a 30% base, 70% PUA policy with another policy design or another product name. And so really you want to be working with an advisor that doesn't just understand products because anyone can understand products. They can read the product information and they can understand how a product works, but There's an art and science to this. And part of the art is understanding your full financial picture, which means where is your money currently? What goals are you wanting to accomplish? What is the purpose of each bucket of money that you have? What are you wanting to do? What other money do you have available? What is your income situation? What's your future income situation? What liabilities do you have? What children do you have? What parents do you have? What are your health concerns and your needs? There's just so many things that are this balancing act, it's almost like a mobile. I I remember I would lay in the dentist chair when I was a child and they would have this mobile overhead and it would always be moving. And I'll never forget for some reason, it was just really impactful. I think it was probably just 
you know, being a little frightened or scared of the dentist, but seeing this mobile moving and it would just swing back and forth. And it had all these different moving parts. And that's kind of like how it is in your financial life. There's so many different moving parts that it's really challenging to say, here's a one snapshot in time. Here's exactly what you need. And here's the same thing that every other single person needs because it's going to look different based on where you are currently today. So, um, Hey, Rachel, um, yeah. <laughs> to throw in uh, even more um, information for our listeners. So PUAs are uh, optional most of the time. Yes. But, but a lot of producers do not understand. And, and this is why you have, in my opinion, and I, I, I'm not normally into self-aggrandizement, but um, what most people have to realize is there's a lot of producers out there that are e- either incompetent or inexperienced. And there are products out there that the PUA is actually a requirement. And the reason the, the reason the insurance company does this is it's usually for an older individual and they're saying, well, in order to satisfy the MEC requirements and you still want to put this much money in here, we actually had to have to add a PUA that's fixed that you're going to pay every year, but that that particular amount is going to have a lesser amount of life insurance uh, um, attached to it. So there are products that are called fixed PUAs that are out there. Uh, it not There's not a lot of them, so most of them are, but if you run into it and you have somebody that designs this for you and you have listened to all the information out on the internet and you said, oh, wait a minute, I thought this was optional. Now they're telling me I have to put it in. It's because the person didn't understand the product. Mm. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I just had, we just had the money advantage, just had a client that had, has done a mass mutual. And once again, mass mutual, we actually represent mass mutual. So we're not, we're not bad mouthing mass mutual, but he wanted an IBC type product with mass mutual and mass mutual does not endorse IBC as a company. So they don't really train their, their um, producers on this. Um, He told him he wanted X and it actually, he got what he wanted, but he did not realize it was going to mech in year 17. So now it's okay. He can do some things. He can pull some strings to keep it from mecking by doing a reduced paid up. But, you know, uh, age 70, age 78, if he goes past that, then it's actually going to mech the policy. So you really need to work with an IBC practitioner, in my, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because we have been trained to look at all these products. And obviously, I'm biased, but I mean, Nelson worked really, really hard on this practitioner's program. And this will prevent as much as possible mistakes making in the training uh, of of this uh, and the design of these particular products. And then the other thing, um, just to let you know that, yes, they're optional. A lot of the companies allow you to catch up from one one year to to the next. So example, if you could have put $10,000 in your PUA this year, but you didn't, the next year you have $20,000 you can catch up the previous year. Now, there are some stipulations about that too. And some, that's based on per company as well. So it's not always company. the same. Yeah, not per product, but per company. Some companies say, if you want to keep the rider open, you have to give us X every year. It's, it's, it's usually a fixed small $100, $120 a year to keep the rider open. Mm-hmm. Some companies say you can catch up, but after seven years, the MEC limit, we're only going to allow you to uh, catch up the average of what you put in the first seven years. Some companies say uh, we'll allow you to catch up no matter what for the next seven years, but after that, we're going to limit what you do. Um, and the reason, just to let people know, the reason they do that is they used to not have these limits. You could actually catch up at any time in the contract. And what people were doing, I've, I've, I've been told this by. Uh, an executive at the life insurance company, people were on their deathbed. They told their spouse, hey, we could put $200,000 in our PUA. It's going to actually boost our death benefit up by to $600,000. Mm-hmm. 
So go ahead and do that right now. And then that person dies four days later. And so the life insurance company only had the money for the 200,000 for four or five days. And then they paid out a death benefit of 200,000. That's Mm -hmm. not a good deal for the life insurance company. And it's not a good deal for all the policyholders because they're owners in the life insurance company. Yes. All the other policyholders. It might be good for that one person, but when you off balance the company so greatly, it's a detriment to everyone else. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. And what's interesting about this as well is I will point out that if you illustrate your policy to pay in a certain amount of PUAs, you are welcome to usually, in most cases, as Bruce was saying, not always, but usually you can pay less than that full PUA if you have extenuating circumstances in the year and you can't make a full premium payment. There's a lot of options with that as well. But remember that if you don't pay in how you're illustrating the policy, you do have the flexibility to not pay the full PUA. However, you will not accumulate the cash value, that cash value amount that is listed contingent upon you paying full premiums will be different than illustrated if you pay less than illustrated. So um, what is really interesting as well, Bruce, I just wanted to clarify something real quick because I think there could be confusion based on something that you said way, way early in the conversation. And I don't think you intended to cause any confusion, but I just want to ask this super directly. So can I start a policy today and 10 years from now decide I want to add PUAs? Oh, you mean without illustrating the PUAs? I mean, when, when do you decide, when do you set up the ability to put PUAs into a policy at the time of design or whenever you decide later on in the future? At the time of issue, when you issue the policy, in other words, you tell the company that you're going through the design process and you say, okay, here's the design. I want to issue this policy. At that time, you must have your design on how much PUAs you can put in in the future. It doesn't mean you have to put the PUAs in, but I think what you're asking is you can't, you can't have a, a all-base policy or you can't have a 50-50 or 30 70 and then say, well, I want to put a, I want to go ahead and add the rider to it later on. Correct. And, uh, and that is what that. I'm getting at. Now, yes. So now, now Rachel there, I have seen some products over my career that they would allow you to add some PUA riders after issue. I haven't really? seen, I haven't seen those lately. I have well, never heard of that lately yes, at all. Yeah, you're right. But I just want to, People to say, well, I saw that. You know, I want to try to cover all the bases. Sure. Uh, you're constantly, matter of fact, we're going through another policy design in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, because With the 7702. Right. It's going to change again in 2022. So we've gone, you, you're constantly going through policy designs because of a couple different things mortality changes. And in this case, it's because. Uh, we're, we're, they're changing the tax law on the modified endowment contract rules. And so the, the product designs will have to change. Now, the products that are already in place are grandfathered in. And Meaning so that if to- you have a policy now, you're not going to be impacted by future design changes because you had an older policy. Correct. Correct. But I think that is really, really interesting to discuss. And the reason I brought that up at all is that I just don't want anyone having the idea that I can design a policy today, all base, hundred thousand a year, and five years from now I have an extra hundred thousand I want to plunk into this policy. So I want to add a PUA rider on now in the future or at that future date, and then take the PUAs off and then randomly add in whenever PUAs I want to put in. It's you set your policy design in the ratio of base to paid up additions when you put the policy in force in the first place at the time of issue. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'd like to, to say today about this, this may be the, maybe one of the most difficult things to explain <laughs> over a podcast. But one of the great things about some PUA design is it allows for not only flexibility that you don't have to put the PUA in that particular year, but it also allows any PUA that you put in in previous years Let's say one year you come into hard times, you lose your job, you don't have additional capital to pay your base premium. What you can actually do is go to the company 
and say, let's use my original example, $10,000 PUA, it, it upped the death benefit by $40,000. You can go to the company and say, I would like to pay the base premium this year by surrendering the $40,000, which will equal $10,000 that the company will then automatically use through bookkeeping to pay your base premium. And that is, once again, that is a way to pay your base premium so that you build up more compounding effect because the base premium, you will get a bigger dividend than surrendering the values of that PUA into the future. So it's another thing I'm just trying to show our listeners, the flexibility and paying that base premium is very, very important. Absolutely. So I think um, I was thinking we were needing a second episode on this, but I think we've really covered all the bases, maybe not in the exact way that we were thinking in advance. But I will say that paid up additions add access to your cash value because the more paid up additions you put into a policy, the more cash value you have available immediately in terms of being able to access that quick cash value upfront. We also want to make sure that any policy is designed in a way that has the maximum long-term growth as well, because you don't want to give up that compounding effect of the dividends that primarily apply to the base premium. But also, so we talked about flexibility, we talked about access, and then you get additional growth with putting paid up additions into the policy as well. And mostly that's because of the other things that you can do outside of the policy itself when you put dollars to work that are borrowed against your cash value in the life insurance policy. So there's so many advantages of using paid up additions, but also understanding how they work and not overinflating it. You can't say, well, let's just have a pure paid up addition policy and right. no base policy. That would be uh, like having no house with 25 sunrooms. So let's just yeah, make sure exactly. that we, <laughs> we keep what's it in perspective. What's interesting, I know I, I said I was going to be the last thing, but you know, there's a big there's a big movement by certain people on the internet now that they they say the only way you should ever do this is 1090 if you want high cash value. And and the reason they do 1090 is because insurance companies won't let you go down past 1090. Matter of fact, most of them we can't even figure out how they're going 1090. Um and I always tell people if insurance companies won't let you go past 1090, if that is the number, wouldn't 991 or 892 be better? Well, the reason they won't let you go down any further is, is because it's not um, in your advantage to do that because a lot of things can go wrong as far as the policy not performing the way you want to. So the more you capitalize, just like the more you put into your house, the more, the more security you have, the more you capitalize a whole life contract, the more, you, the more security you have. Oh, that's excellent. We have a whole episode as well on the risks of the 1090 split and why you want to fully understand that before trying to put a product like that in place. We actually have two conversations on that. You can go back in our history and we can try to link that as well in the show notes for this episode. So if you have further questions about PUAs, how they work, what you want to think about with PUAs in your specific situation, please go ahead and ask them. I will let you know as well, we're talking very in-depth on life insurance specifically today. Life insurance itself, though, is just one piece of a much bigger journey and strategy for you to build time and money freedom. And so what does that really look like in your life? Time and money freedom starts with keeping as much of the money that you make as possible, which means plugging money leaks and not having money flow out in things like interest and taxes and opportunity costs that you are losing control of the cash that you have made. And then it's putting protection in place so that no one life event can come in and rob the wealth that you've built. And then it's putting those dollars to work to earn additional cash. And usually that's earning cash flow because when you have cash flow from assets that is greater than your expenses, you're in a position of financial freedom so that you can then decide how to spend your time. Ultimately, the goal of any financial profitability and having any financial stewardship in your life is so that you can do all the other things that you're dreaming about, not just so that you can have 
a lot of money. So we would love to help you accomplish that true significance in your life. You can book a call with our advisor team at themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar. Or if you just go to our main page at themoneyadvantage.com, you can click on a link right there on the front homepage that will take you over to our calendar and you can book a call and really start that conversation to figure out what exactly this would look like for you to keep in control more of your money, to implement infinite banking, and to figure out how to use cash flow strategies and alternative investments or a combination of whatever you are looking for to help you accomplish time and money freedom. So that's all for today. Please um, thank you for asking your questions. Please go ahead and ask them in the future. Like and subscribe. You can rate and review us as well on Apple Podcasts, and we will look forward to being with you next time. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk, and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.